Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John Butler speaks from the subject of State of the Church. And now, here is today's message. So the reality of the American church is that people are simply not attending church as much as they used to. Um, our, our church is no exception to that rule. But I can tell you this, in, in studying the Bible and, and reading the Word, people weren't just gravitating to the New Testament church either. People weren't just sort of wandering into the services that the apostles were, were holding. The, these people were raised um, worshiping Zeus and Diana and the other Greek and Roman gods. They, they weren't just wandering into the meetings that Peter and John were, uh, were and Paul and all these apostles were holding. But even in that climate, Jesus gave them and gave us uh, a mission. He said in Matthew chapter 28, we have to go and make disciples. That means that we have to get up out of this, this, the, the chairs of this church, get out of the walls of this church, and engage with people who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And listen, many of them don't want a relationship with Jesus, and they don't know why they should want a relationship with Jesus. So we have our work cut out for us, but they, those people should not be hard to find. If you look at the footprint of our church, where most of the people are who attend this church, Harrelson County, Carroll County, Polk County, Paulding County, the statistics are really the same in, in, in all of our counties in West Georgia and East Alabama. 85% of the people in, our, in where we live and where we work do not attend church even once a month. 85% here in what we like to call the Bible Belt, where everybody thinks they're a Christian, right? 85% of them are not going to attend church even once this month. And it's our job, Jesus said, to make disciples out of them. The numbers were, were similar, if not worse, or more daunting in the Roman Empire when Jesus gave us the command. So it's not like he didn't realize that it was going to be a challenge. But if we ever hope to fulfill that great commission, if we ever hope to impact our region for Jesus, we're going to have to do it the way they did it in the New Testament. And it's not going to be by being cooler. It's not going to be from being more like the world. It's not going to be from watering down the truth of the Word of God. It's going to be from the power and the presence of God, not just operating in our services, listen, but operating in our lives. In 2019, it's got to get more personal for us. It's not just about the church corporately, the gathered church, the Greek word is ecclesia, it's about the scattered church, the diaspora, the people who make up the church when we go to our jobs and when we go to our homes and the ball field and the grocery store. The mission of our church, the mission of the church has got to get personal for us this year. If, if people don't see Jesus changing us, they're not going to believe that Jesus can change them. 
You see, last year our theme was get connected, and, and I think it was, it was a worthy effort at doing that, but from where I'm sitting, I think it was only marginally successful. I don't think that we're any more connected than we were last year at this time, and I think most of the reason for that is that I was trying to address the symptoms rather than the root of the problem. You see, I was encouraging people to serve and to give and to attend and to engage and pray and, and read and worship, and all of that's good stuff. All of that is it's God's stuff. But listen, this Bible is a personal book. It's God's love letter to you, to you. And there's an old song that says he's a personal Savior, and he is. He forgave my sins he filled me with his spirit. He called me to be his son. He, he called me to the great commission, right? He wants me to worship him. He wants me to pray. He wants me to serve. Not us, me. It has to be more personal before it's corporate. If it doesn't get personal, it'll never get corporate. I, I feel like I've been working the wrong end of the problem. So listen, I want to get old school for just a minute. Y'all ready? I know it's early. But there, there will be people who are part of great churches who are going to bust hell wide open. Jesus said in Matthew, I think it was in chapter 24 or 25, that there will be people who call him Lord, who participate in great ministry stuff, who show up every time the doors are open, but he doesn't know them because it was never personal for them. So I don't, I don't need you to serve or worship or give or do any other churchy kind of thing. What I need you to do is be personal with Jesus Christ because I can't save you and this church can't save you and membership can't save you and denomination can't save you and attendance won't save you and serving and outreach won't save you. Only Jesus can save you and change you and fill you and move you and motivate you. And then and only then will you be able to fulfill the Great Commission. And it's only when each of us starts to fulfill it for ourselves that we'll be able to do it effectively as a body. So this year's theme, and, and I have no idea why in the last two years I'm suddenly doing themes, but here it is. This year's theme is I will. I will. Not we will. I will. It's got to be, it's got to be me before we. We will, we will never do more than we're willing to personalize and implement in our own lives. So I want to I challenge you to make a personal commitment this year. And I've summarized the, this commitment in three statements that, or three declarations, if you will. Here, here's the first one. I will give up until I live up. I will give up until I live up. Now, I want to read several scriptures here so that you understand that this is, this is the, the heartbeat of the Word of God. John 3 and 30, Jesus said, or John the Baptist said, he's got to become greater. Jesus has got to become greater and greater. I must become less and less. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, 
Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, this is Jesus, if anyone of you wants to be my follower, now notice he said any one of you individually, and each of you, not all of you, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you have to turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, the gospel, you'll save it. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus said this, if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. And then Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul said this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I will give up until I live up. Listen, this is the opposite of fake it till you make it. That's not really even a thing, scripturally. This is admitting that we are sinners. This is admitting that we have issues in our lives. This is, this is admitting that even if we're in a personal relationship with Jesus, that we've got stuff that we've got to work on. It's, it's, it's admitting, most importantly, that the only way to get victory over the struggles in our lives is not by trying harder, it's by giving up. It's saying, God, I know I'm not living up to your standards in this area. I, but if you'll help me, I will give up my control. I will give up my excuses. I'll give up my denial of the problem. I'll surrender myself to you, Jesus, because you've got to increase and I've got to decrease. I've got to give up my will and my way and my desires and my lusts and my addictions and my whatever it is that's keeping me from right relationship. I've got to give that up in order to take on the life that Jesus wants for me. We are never going to be a light in a dark world until we do this. So this year, this has to be our commitment. I will give up until I live up. We used to have a Celebrate Recovery ministry here for a long time, we did. It's a Christ-centered 12-step program. One of the first steps is admitting that you are powerless to do anything about your problem. Can I tell you that's exactly what every one of us needs to do? We have got to confess before the Lord that we are powerless to do anything about the things that are separating us from Him. Some of us have been, some of us in this church have been struggling with pornography for years. Some are struggling with lust. Some are struggling with anger. Some are struggling with gossip. Some are struggling with spiritual laziness. Some are struggling with eating disorders. Some are struggling with alcohol or prescription drugs. There's a thousand things, a thousand things that can keep us tied up and bound up and tripped up. Keep us from living up to the standard that God has for us as followers of Jesus. But step one is giving up. Admitting that you can't do it on your own. Letting him live through you with his spirit and his power and his character and his nature. When you give up, he'll help you live up. It just doesn't work any other way. You say, well, John, I don't understand. This is supposed to be about the church. How is this going to help the church? 
Can you imagine what this church would be like if we got free from the stuff that's binding us as individuals? Can you imagine what your friends and coworkers will think when they see you really, truly change? Do you understand the door that opens for ministry in our lives? It, it, it won't be, hey, come to my church and meet cool people. It's going to be, let me tell you what Jesus is doing in my life right now, how he's changing me. You see, if you, if you want what God wants you to be, then you have to take this challenge with me. I will give up until I live up. Here's the second challenge, the I will challenges. I will be it until I see it. I will be it until I see it. Here's Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't judge others, and you won't be judged. For you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging, uh, the standard you use in judging is the standard you will be judged by. And, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite, Jesus said. First, get the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Listen, I think we've got too many so-called experts in the church today. Too many people who study and analyze and hypothesize about what's wrong in the church. Too many armchair quarterbacks who sit and point out all the problems. And listen, it is easy to do. It, it is not a spiritual gift to find problems. It, it is not hard at all. But this year, and listen, we've got a great church. We, this, this is not a whining, complaining kind of church. I've got friends who are pastors. Believe me, this is a great church. So I, I get this, but this year we've got to change that mindset where we see the problem first. Jesus said there's too many people trying to fix everybody else when they should really start in the mirror. This year we've got to decide I will be it until I see it. Now here's what I mean. Leadership is always by example. You can't, you can't say do what I say and not as I do. That's just not how that works. So leadership's by example, and there's really no other way. John Maxwell calls it the, the law of the, of the picture. People follow what they see, right? So taking this challenge this year is about leadership by example. It's about bringing, the, it's about bringing change by being change. It's a recognition that change starts with me, not with everybody else. It's an acceptance of personal responsibility of being a part of a body of believers. It's not about sitting around and pointing out what's wrong with everybody else. It's about being what's right. It's a pledge not to criticize, but to mobilize. It's an understanding that if something needs to change, it will begin to change when each of us personally changes. So it's, it's, it's not... It's not, man, I wish my church would worship more. It's, I'm going to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth with my whole heart, even if I have to do it all by myself. Right? It's not, man, I wish somebody would worship. It's here I am. Right? 
So it's not, man, I wish we were a friendlier church. It's I'm going to make a point to welcome every guest I see. Right? It changed. So if, if you worship and you worship and you worship, then before long, we're going to reach critical mass and we're going to become a powerful worshiping church. But it doesn't go the other direction. It only rises from each of us individually. And if you welcome people and I welcome people and you welcome people and you welcome people, then suddenly we're a friendly church where everyone is welcome and everybody can feel comfortable coming and experiencing the presence and the power and the love of Jesus. Well, not feel comfortable. I don't want people to feel comfortable. I want people to feel welcome. Because if we got sin in our lives, the last thing we need to be is comfortable in the presence of God. Right? So let me hasten to correct myself. But you see what I'm saying? Somebody's got to be first. We can't sit around and keep looking at each other, waiting on something to happen. We, somebody's got to lead the way. So this year, we've got to take this challenge and this mindset that I'm going to be it until I see it. Because the commands of Jesus, and the, the American church has, I think we've taught this wrong, the commands of Jesus are not so much for the church as they are for the members of the church. We sit around and wait on the church to go fulfill the Great Commission when it's about us individually fulfilling it, individually and corporately. So the Great Commission and all the other commands of Scripture are for us. The corporate church reflects the scattered church. We will collectively be what we are individually. So if you see a deficit in our church, and every church has them, it's just not every church admits it, every church has deficits, and when you see them, then step up in the gap and start filling it. And if you can't personally do it, then pray about it. And listen, this applies to all kinds of areas in our lives, inside and outside the church. If you want a better marriage, then be a better spouse until your marriage changes. It only takes one of you. If you want a better job or a better opportunity, be a better employee where you are until another door opens. Nobody gripes their way up the ladder. If you want your church to grow, invite people to church. Some some people will find us on their own. But I would say 80% of the people that, that make covenant life their home come because a friend or a family member invited them. If you want a more powerful altar service, then come to the altar and pray that until God breaks chains over people, right? It's an old adage. I don't know where it came from, but it's absolutely true. You have to be the change you want to see because problems are easy to find. But solutions usually start in the mirror when you own your responsibility and your opportunity. So we have to stop moaning and start owning. Don't fuss about other people doing something. We don't have any control over any other people. Right? We can only do what we can do. So I'm not talking about forcing your will on anybody. I'm not talking about doing anything out of order or anything in the flesh or anything out from under authority. I'm simply saying, let's be part of the solution instead of focusing on the problem. So I want you to take that challenge with me this year. I will be it until I see it. And here's the last one. 
and I really think this is the most important one, I will love him until I live him. I will love him until I live him. Here's Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. They came and they asked him this question, they, and they were trying to trip him up. And they said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Lord, have mercy. Have you all read the Old Testament? You all know how many commandments there were in the law of Moses? I, I'm, I've just now finished, no, I'm in the middle of Deuteronomy. I just finished Leviticus and, whoo, there's a lot. There's a lot. They said, which one of those is the most important? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then this is the mind-blowing part. He said the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. We've forgotten the power of love. We have forgotten the power of love. When Jesus was asked to name the most important commandment that God had ever given, he said love. Love God and love everybody else. Our ability to love others comes from and is based on the love of God. Loving God has got to be first. Loving God has got to be first. How is it that we've forgotten that? Love is the foundation of Christianity. Not law, not rules, not regulations, not expectations, not church services, not outreaches. Love. Love. So this is my heart's cry. If you forget all the rest of this stuff, this is my heart's cry for us this year. We have got to fall in love with Jesus again. We've got to fall in love with Jesus. Don't worry about anything else. That one thing, fall in love with Jesus because it matters more than we realize. I want to show this to you. Very sobering, very sobering section of Scripture in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2, this is Jesus speaking, writing to a real church. He said, Listen, I know all the things you do. That's sobering. Jesus knows everything that every one of us does. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You examine the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they're not. You've discovered that they're liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Wow. That sounds like a great church, doesn't it? But look at what Jesus says next. Verses 4 and 5. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. King James says you've lost your first love. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand and its place from among the churches. Listen, we can hate all the right sin. We can vote for all the right things. We can say and do all the right stuff. 
But if we don't love Jesus with our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strength, then 1 Corinthians 13 says we are useless and annoying. Jesus said if this church didn't fall back in love with him, he was going to remove their candlestick or their lampstand in this translation. Do you know what that means? The first chapter tells us what that means. Jesus told, is telling them, I will close your church down. I will shut the doors of your church. If you don't love me, I will shut you down. He didn't ask them about their tithing and giving records. He didn't ask them to see their growth charts or their outreach numbers. His standard was one thing. Do you love me like you did when you surrendered your heart to me? Do you love me like you did when I rescued your soul from hell? Do you love me like you did when I set you free from the power of sin? And if the answer to that question is no, then nothing else matters. We have to stop what we're doing and fall on our faces and repent before God because we have violated the first and most important commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And love everybody else the way you love him. He said in verse 5, if you don't repent, I will come and remove the lampstand. Listen, the future of our church does not depend on the quality of our music. It doesn't depend on the engagement of our kids and students' ministry. It doesn't depend on the scope of our outreach or the marketing of our brand or the improvement of my preaching or my leadership. The future of our church depends on us falling in love with Jesus Christ and falling deeper and deeper and deeper in love. And that's it. Everything else hinges on that love. You say, but wait, John, isn't Jesus concerned about us obeying his word? Yes, but love comes first. Obedience grows out of our love for him. Look at what Jesus said, John 14, verse 15. There's several places, three different places in this same chapter. If you love me, obey my commandments. Not the other way around. Look at verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each one of them. And then verses 23 through 24, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. If we will get that one piece right, if we will love Jesus, we'll do, we will do all the right things. We will witness, and we will worship, and we will serve, and we will give, and we will care for the needy, and we'll read his word, and we'll pray, and we'll do all the things that healthy believers and healthy churches are supposed to do, but love comes first. If we don't love first, we will not last. 
Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. We just read it in Galatians chapter 2. I'm crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Jesus lives in me. What does that even mean? It means that I'm going to love Jesus to the point that his character and his nature and his actions begin to overrule mine. That should be the goal of every believer. That should be the goal of every church. I will love Jesus until I live Jesus. There is really no other way. So I will be it until I see it. I will give up until I live up. And I will love him. I will love him until I live him. Will you stand with me this morning? Every once in a while they tell you you should go to a cardiologist. Go just just get a heart check. This is our heart check. Has our love grown cold? Are we just doing things to be doing things? Are we doing them because we've always done them? Doing them because that's churchy? Doing them because that's good southern people do them? What are we doing? And why are we doing it? Do we still love Jesus? The way we loved him five years ago, ten years ago, or whenever it was that we met him. Everything else hinges on that. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to open this altar and invite you to come. You can pray about this message. You can pray about anything that's going on in your life, and I'll be happy to pray with you about it. But we have to do this first. Father, thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.